Hey there, friend. Welcome back to the Creative Visibility Podcast. I'm Brett Shuford, your host, and I'm so excited that you're here today. We are going to talk a little bit. I'm actually going to kind of relive the past a little bit today. We're going to talk about an experience. I'm actually thinking about making this a series because here's the thing, okay? I have had this idea to write this story into a book. It's kind of a tell-all, if you will. And I've talked about doing this since 2016, and I still haven't done it for many reasons, clearly, but mostly because I'm just not the kind of person that can sit down and write. <laughs> I've learned that I can sit down and talk. And now that I have a podcast and a platform, I thought, why don't I create a series about my experience doing a show on Broadway that was pretty one of a kind. And I want to be very careful because it was a show that was owned and run by a pretty major global corporation. So I don't want anybody coming after me. So I'm going to stay away from names. I'm going to stay away from the names of the companies and the shows. But if you know me, you could probably figure most of it out. If you've ever looked at my resume, you could probably figure this out too. But before we do that, I just want to give a little update. So we're six weeks into being dads and it's been interesting. It's been some things have been easier than I thought and some things have been more challenging. Certainly the most challenging thing is time because kid, your kid, especially a newborn, requires an incredible amount of focus. And I'm very much a multitasker. There's that ADHD in me. So there's times where I'm with him and my ADHD is like, I could be doing this or that and this or that. I'm like, focus. You're feeding your son. And so it's been a very interesting time in learning how to structure priorities, structure our time together as, as husbands. Steven's working, teaching ballet, coaching. So when, you know, trying to figure out when he's teaching, who's watching Maverick, blah, blah, blah. And, and I gotta say, it's, it's just not been easy. It's not been easy to find the priority line. So it's getting easier because I don't know if it's because I'm getting used to having Maverick around or it's because he's becoming more alert every day, he, which is really cool and really cute, but it's working out. And so I'm excited to see how things grow and change. And now, of course, we're planning our summer because there's a couple weddings we want to go to this summer. There's Lake Tahoe Dance Festival Stephen is dancing in, and we really want to bring Maverick to all these places. So figuring out travel plans and all of that, good times. So if anyone listening is a parent and has ideas on time management, I, I mean, the only thing I can think of is I need to hire somebody. Like maybe once a week, we're going to have someone come in. I think I watched too many Disney movies. I was waiting for a nanny to come flying in from the clouds, but she hasn't yet. So we're going to find some other way to make this work. So let's go back. Let's go back in time a little bit to 2015. I was doing a musical on Broadway called Amazing Grace. Now, Amazing Grace was a show about John Newton who wrote the song Amazing Grace. He was a 17th, well, I guess 18th century, started off as a young man in the slave trade in England. So the triangle slave trade was a major money, global money market in the 1700s. And his dad owned some portion of it and he worked and it was a fascinating show to do because we learned a lot about english law and at that time but then also learning so much about the triangle slave trade which is shocking and uh, disturbing but real and what was interesting about that show for me was i was a swing i was the only male swing in that show 
uh, because there it was a it was like a tight budget. The show had one investor. This guy was probably his name is like ninety years old and had a lot of money, right? If you're don't if you don't know to invest in a Broadway show, it's like four or musical especially, it's like fourteen million dollars, maybe even more now. And this guy was the only investor. So this guy had a lot of money. And he believed he was doing God's work because the song Amazing Grace, of course, has touched so many people's lives, especially in the Christian community. So he felt like spreading the word of John Newton was doing his work of faith. Now, uh, who can argue that? Like, whatever. But ultimately, um, pre-George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter movement, it was an uncomfortable show to do because half the cast was black, half the cast was white. Well, most of the black cast, especially in the first act, played slaves. And we had to do some uncomfortable work. Now, listen, telling stories and reflecting back on the human condition can be uncomfortable. And this was certainly one of those moments. But for me, what was most frustrating about the show was that pretty much the entire creative team was white. Uh, except for the costume designer and I think the the orchestrator. The director, writer, producer, the writer was also the composer. He had never written a musical. He It kind of sounded like Les Mis meets, I don't know, fans. I mean, it was like very much in that like Angela Weber decade. So it sounded like a guy who was a fan of that generation musical theater. Costumes, by the way, Tony Leslie James were gorgeous the sets eddie pierce and his team amazing but the show had problems and i remember we did our chicago out of town tryout and i was a swing and i understudied john newton and there's a whole story about me going on as the understudy with pretty much no rehearsal on my youtube channel so if you ever want to go check that just look up on youtube actor's nightmare in real life i think is what it's called but the thing that what was frustrating about the show, well, I just remember thinking, we're in Chicago, this show's not going to run. Or they kept saying, oh, we're going to go to Broadway. I was like, yeah, right. You're not, this is so not going to go to Broadway. This is deeply flawed and they're not really listening to anybody. But the cast was amazing, right? You had Chuck Cooper, Josh Young's gorgeous voice, Aaron Mackey, yours truly, just kidding. Really, really amazing cast. But I was like looking for other work because I was like, there's just no way. The show's going to transfer. That happens a lot. Musicals, you do a lot of shows in your career. If you're in musical theater, like, oh, this show's going to Broadway. And you're like, mm, you get pretty cynical after a while. Like, eh. So I took a job for Royal Caribbean as a director, like a resident director for them for their production of We Will Rock You. And I helped mount the first production of that overseas on a brand new cruise ship in Germany as it was still being constructed. It was definitely one of the most like dangerous jobs because we were like living and sleeping on a construction site in the middle of Germany. Fascinating. I also quickly learned like I don't like the cruise ship industry for entertainment because I think that they care very little about the people that work for them. That was very frustrating and there's no union regulations. And I felt like the way they were treating the cast members was really poorly, but they make up for it with money. And I just, eh, it just didn't feel right. So I was happy people were making money and I made a lot of money. I got out of a lot of debt at that time, which was such a relief. Thank you, Royal Caribbean. 
And there's times where I'm like, oh, I think I burned a bridge. I, I don't care. At this point, it was in Germany. I think it was in Germany with the show, getting the show up and running, that I got a call. Amazing Grace got a theater on Broadway and is going to Broadway. And I was like, what? So then I had to tell Royal Caribbean that I could not do the job moving forward because I was going to be on Broadway. And in fact, I was also supposed to choreograph a production of The Little Mermaid. Uh, and I had to call that director and tell him I had, I had to bail. And he was pissed. I remember he was so mad at me. I was like, it was so far ahead of production. But I remember feeling pretty guilty. But I was like, they can't turn on a Broadway show. It's a job in New York. It's home. It's all of those things. So Amazing Grace, for a lot of reasons, was an amazing experience for me. I Swinging is hard. The show was hard to stand behind. It was one of those shows where there's very few where I've, I kind of walked out of the theater a little bit hanging my head because I just didn't really want to be associated with it. It felt racist to me. Let's just be honest. It was racist. And, you know, for better or worse, you know, I think that show probably couldn't have been done today, honestly, the way it was done. But it was done. It was over. And I think it definitely brought to light a lot of the racism in Broadway and you know, hopefully now post pandemic and everything and Black Lives Matter movement and there's so much more awareness around anti-racism that it'll hopefully be better. But there were things about it that really disturbed me. Like one was, I remember when like, it was a Glenn conservative talk show host came and we all were supposed to take a group photo with him. I just didn't like feeling a part of this like conservative movement even though i i am i consider myself a christian i grew up christian the way the show ended was this man like i guess the way i felt and this is totally opinion is that a show that tries to make racism or slavery a secondary storyline is flawed right you can't make slavery a secondary storyline you can't make slavery kind of happening in the background because slavery has created such years and years of hereditary trauma and that's what they tried to do, right? So like the last beat of the show was John Newton singing Amazing Grace down front center with his white wife and everyone else kind of standing around him singing the song. And it was a gorgeous arrangement. It was beautiful, but it just lacked that sense of, for me, of humility. So it was a hard show. And I remember when it was done, I was like, well, we were in rehearsal. We were still running the show. And I got an audition for a different show. And at the time, we knew that Amazing Grace was going to close. So I was looking for other work. And I was not even kidding. I got asked from a friend who worked for the village people if I would want to be a village person. So now at this point, the village people have been around for a while. They go and do events, mostly gay pride events. And what I want to be like a swing for the village people. So I've been in rehearsals, learning Macho Man, learning all these songs, learning the choreography. And I got this phone call about a callback for this musical. Now this musical is this major global circus company is deciding to produce their first musical on Broadway, which sounded pretty cool because like if they did that right. It could be a huge hit. So I remember I'd gone in initially and had to do a monologue and it was a long monologue and it had clearly been written by somebody in French and then translated to English because it didn't make a lot of sense. But 
I remember trying to make sense of it. I worked with a coach and I got a callback, but I got the callback while I was in rehearsal for the village people. So I had to tell the village people, I got to run to this callback at Telsey, major casting office in New York. So I run to the callback. I, I didn't have my book with me. I had to go home, get my book and come back. And I get to Telsey expecting to walk into a room with the whole team. And I walk into the audition room and the only person there is the casting director, Caesar, who doesn't work there anymore. Shout out Caesar. And a camera on a tripod. And he says, can you sing, just sing your song and just give it as poppy pop style as much as you can, like straight tone, blah, blah, blah. I was like, okay, cool. Sing song, no problem, great. Okay, now can you dance? And I said, sure. What do you want to, what do you want me to dance? Just dance. Okay, what's the music? No, no music, just dance. It's like any style, any, like, can you give me something? He's like, nope, they just, they just want to see you dance. And he presses record and I just start dancing around the room to no music. And it was so awkward. So somewhere out there, there's a video of me dancing to myself with no music. And I remember thinking, so odd. What else? Showbiz, moving on. Then I get an email from Actors Equity. And it's like, if you are in consideration or if you've been called back for this certain project, please let us know. This is a do not work situation. And we're currently working with the producing organization to get a contract. So I was like, okay, I got to reach out to them and tell them I'm in consideration for this. I've had a call back and they, you know, just like, okay, just keep us updated on what's going on. Super weird, right? You're going to do a Broadway show, but not get an equity contract. Seems a little strange. What else? Then at some point, my agent's like, you're on hold, you're being considered. And equity calls a meeting for everyone who's currently got an offer on this project. And we go into a conference room and I remember it was very dramatic. We go into a conference room at Actors Equity and I can't, honestly, I can't remember the positions of the people in the room. It was like a lawyer and someone who negotiates these deals. And we're all kind of talking through what our offers are. And they're telling us what that what's on the table with them. And I remember somebody like zoomed in from Australia for that conference. So it was all like, we were waiting to hear contracts haven't been made. An email comes out like, Hey, welcome to the show. Like our first day of rehearsal is this date at this location. And I was like, but I don't have a contract. So I'm like calling equity. Like, I don't have a contract. Is this really happening? Like, just show up, just go be there. We're still working on it. Literally the first day of rehearsal, we all show up to the Lyric Theater. It's now called the Lyric Theater Rehearsal Studio on 43rd Street. And there's tables all the way around the room, a projection screen, uh, you know, making a big square around the room. And Equity says, we have a contract. Literally that morning, they negotiated and finalized the contract. So weird. I'd never experienced that. We didn't even know what the contract said. Like, what was it? What were the agreements? But we were there. And we showed up to rehearsal. And the thing I remember about that first day of rehearsal was the director choreographer was a Frenchman who, and I love the French, but he was sort of like the thing I don't like, the sort of pretentious, I don't know, just like, he was called the director. As we learned, he wasn't much of a director. 
he, I guess, was a conceptualist more than a director. And there was no real, like, they start telling us basically vocabulary. Welcome to this company. Um, we don't have rehearsals. You, you can't call this rehearsal. The rehearsal process, by the way, they call it, what do they call it? Not rehearsal, but it's, I'll get back to that. There's no script. We don't call it a script. We call it a treatment. There is no run-throughs or dress rehearsals. We call them lion's dens. So imagine working for a global corporation who, when they do a run-through, they don't call it a run-through. They call it a lion's den. And the reason they call it that is because someone always gets fired. Sounds really healthy. There were different things that they start telling us that we can't say we have a script. We can't say that. And I think that was mostly because they didn't really hire a book writer and they didn't want to deal with like the dramatist guild or whatever. Right. In fact, we found out like this day later on, the stage manager, the production stage manager was a person who had worked for the corporation before. And she was, she never even joined equity and she was the PSM for the show, which is odd. Just not something you do with on Broadway. So basically, it's a French major corporation entertainment company who wants to do a Broadway show without following any of the Broadway protocols or hiring any Broadway people to run it. Which is sort of like saying, I'm going to start a football team, but not hire the NFL, right? <laughs> it just didn't make any sense. That was day one. He started showing video clips of his, I guess he has a dance company in Paris and they're not really dancers as much as they were like movers. I saw a lot of single feet. I saw a lot of people, they were probably more contemporary than they were like classically trained dancers. And we were all kind of like, what is this? Like the numbers weren't even finished. It was just like, not, like people walking, snapping. And he's like, these are my ideas. But there was not like a, here's the number you're going to learn. Nothing was done. And we had, at that point, scheduled five months of rehearsal. We were going to do, I think it was three or four weeks at the studio in rehearsal and then go to Grauman's, wait, is that what it's called? It's a huge studio warehouse in Long Island, which is about, you'd have to take the Long Island Railroad. It was about an hour out of the city. And that's because of all the acrobats. They had to do all these tricks and they needed the space to train. So at one point we were going to have to start commuting. And one of the agreements that equity gave them was that we were going to do a nine hour rehearsal day. And part of that agreement was that the, there was a company required company warm up for the first hour of the day. Super strange, no big deal, right? Unless you're commuting two hours each way to Long Island, that became an issue, we'll get to that. And I remember thinking there were a few people, they've done other Broadway shows, but there were a lot of people who have never done a Broadway show, mostly the acrobats and then the dancers. This company, this corporation likes to hire odd people. They wanna hire people who aren't really, uh, who are kind of off, off the beaten path. That was why I had to dance by myself in a room with no music, right? They wanted to see if I would actually do it. And I did, and I got the job. And if I had known what would go down during that experience, I don't know that I would have taken the job. At the same time, I'm really glad I took the job because it strengthened me in a lot of ways. And I met some pretty, the people who I went through this experience with, 
And it was about a year and a half experience all in all. We're bonded for life. So I want to get you a little teaser here. What's to come? This series, which I'm going to call Perilous. The Day the Circus Came to Broadway. This is the series. I can't wait to start telling you more of this story. So stay tuned. It should be a message on Instagram or whatever. Let me know if you are excited to hear this story. I have a lot of good stories to tell. And of course, always subscribe to this channel. Let me know what else you want to hear here and how I can support you. As always, this is really about being courageously creative. This feels courageous for me to tell this story. I've always been a little apprehensive for a lot of reasons. But I'm going to be courageous and finally get this story out into the world. And I really want to thank you for listening.